0: Well, this morning we are, as Pat indicated, taking a a break from our study in in Genesis. Um, We, you know, there are certain times when uh, we just sort of need to have sort of family meeting as a church. And I think this is one of one of those uh, times as brothers and sisters in Christ, young and old. um, We are we are we are part of the household of God by by virtue of our new birth and our adoption as sons of God. And so we're gonna just kind of sit and talk a little bit together as a as a gathered family this morning. But it's not just us in the room. It's not it's not just our voices that we need to hear. It's certainly not mine that you need right now. Um, God is among us. He is He is speaking to us today through His Word by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, in the church. And so we want to hear from Him today. God hears our cries, He cares about our sorrows, and He speaks comfort to us. And this is, this is the voice we want to hear above all others today, and, and I pray that we will. If you're a guest here this morning, we are thankful that you're here. As Pat indicates, a little bit of a different Sunday. We are taking a break because of some things that have happened in the last week. Or if you're just part of our church, but you haven't seen emails or anything, you're living off the grid in a bunker somewhere, I don't know, um, let me just share briefly what's, some of what's happened in the past four days. Uh, Tim and Heather Gilbert, um, along with their daughters, uh, nine-year-old Reagan and six-year-old Riley, they, they've been attending uh, Baraka since earlier this year, not, not very long now. They were looking for a church closer uh, to where they live. And so they became connected to us through David and Nancy Barber. Their families go way, way back. And some, of, uh, some others of you have connections with them as well um so so they're very new here um they're still somewhat unrooted in terms of a church and if you've been in that situation i think most of you probably have because of a move or change it's a hard place to be under any circumstances i mean when i see people come in and if you're a guest today and I may see this in your own face. I can see the sort of panic on your face when you walk through these doors. It's it's a scary thing to go into a new church and to, and you don't know anybody and you're trying to get your bearings and you're listening and you're uh, yeah, so I, that's that's a hard place to be. Now, they've 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 been coming for a little while now, but I realize some of some of you were were really starting to get to know them, uh, particularly those of you that are part of the South Fayette small group. They were. Uh, attending there and and I know some of you are, are, are have known them a little better. Uh, I'm sure there were some of you that probably didn't know who they were when you saw the um, email go out earlier on Wednesday, and uh, I understand that many of you probably had met them. They sat in this middle se- they sit in this middle section, probably the second row from the back of the front front here and, um, and but you probably only had a few short conversations with them on Sundays. That was me. Uh, I, I've only talked to them briefly on Sundays prior to this week. Tim and I actually talked two weeks ago saying, let's get together for lunch. We were going to get together this past week, and, and uh, uh, that didn't happen. But um, So here's the situation. A week ago, Riley, their six-year-old daughter, she was, a week ago today, she was jumping on a trampoline, doing what any healthy, uh, energetic six-year-old would do, riding her scooter on Monday and I'm not going to recount all the details of what transcended uh, after that. Most of you know this. But the short of it is, early Wednesday morning, Riley went and woke up her mom. And her mom's a nurse practitioner, ER nurse practitioner. And so what she saw, heard, they were immediately out the door to the emergency room at Piedmont. Uh, and as soon as they arrived there, they were immediately uh, air, um, uh, what, uh, life-flighted to eggleston hospital children's hospital in atlanta with multiple organ failure um and as as the hours went on they determined they finally did determine that it was a strep infection they got into her bloodstream and went septic uh the doctors they were telling us just the doctor says this is a one in a million chance that this would something like this would happen um Now, most of you were praying through the ups and downs over the next 48 hours that followed. Uh, But by mid-morning on Friday, it was clear that there was really nothing more that could be done, medically speaking, to keep her alive. And so, surrounded by family and friends, and some of you, Tim and Heather, were preparing themselves for the absolutely unthinkable. Um, So by 5 p.m. on Friday Uh, evening i I was standing at the entrance of Eggleston. i was had some food that was waiting to put in somebody's car and i just one of these moments where they didn't know i was there i didn't know they walked by but i saw the three of them tim and heather and reagan walking out of that hospital without riley it's just it's just not supposed to happen how 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 do you possibly prepare for that kind of devastating loss how do you handle hearing things like one in a million odds how do you grasp that grapple with that how how do you go on how how can how can we as a church enter into their sorrow how how can we help them bear the seemingly unbearable grief of Riley's tragic and sudden death well the immediate circumstances of of the last week are certainly directly behind this message. But that is not the only application of this. And so this is not a funeral message. And, uh, but I, 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 I look around this room. I see life after life of those that have been affected by very tragic realities. And we all have. And we can expect more to come. It's going to happen. And so what can we hold on to? What do we hold on to when our, when our feet just get knocked out from under us? And, and by sudden tragic loss. When suffocating darkness just rushes in on us, where do we find light to keep on moving, to keep on living? Um, and again, how can we as a church family help one another when, when the unthinkable happens to some of our own? How do we, how do we respond? And so we're going to meander some this morning. It's a different kind of message. This message didn't start being written until yesterday afternoon. That is not normal for me. And so it's not going to be real neat and tidy. Um, you can probably already sense that. Uh, this, this, but the second half of the, the last week was anything but neat and tidy. Um, and times of crises, they never, they never are. And so, but God meets us where we're at in the middle of that mess, and He certainly has done that. And so, our comfort, our help, it's not found in you know perfect sermon outlines or neat little acrostics. No, God is gracious to bring comfort and help through his truth, and it, and it comes at different times in different ways, uh, and it comes when we need it most. So, Psalm 23 is a song we know uh, that, that is probably one of the most quoted psalms in in the scriptures. Psalm 23 is this song for when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And for the Gilberts, that, that valley was the fourth floor PICU unit at Eggleston Hospital this week. Uh, seeing her little body on all those machines, all those staff working to keep her body alive and all the ups and downs, hopes, hopes for the, hoping for the best, preparing for the worst, Um, thinking about how wonderful it would be to to be able to share this story of her, of her healing for years and years and years to come. And then also, you know, thinking about the the reality of possibilities of, of planning for her funeral. I mean, yeah, so, so, so this is this is this is it this is their, this was their valley. You have your own you 've been through that valley, and you will many, many times, and so the valley is dark it 's scary it 's disorienting uh, but we are this is the wonderful truth of psalm twenty three is we 're never alone there. The Lord is with us in that valley. The Lord has been and continues to be with Tim and Heather. And Reagan and their family. And the Lord is, will be with us in whatever dark valleys He leads us through. And He's gracious to give us these glimmers of light in the midst of the darkness. The overwhelming darkness. And, and, and all these glimmers of light that He gives us, they're not just sort of abstract little feel-good tokens that God throws our way. That's not it at all. They come from God Himself. Psalm 27, the wonderful words of, of hope, The Lord is your light and your salvation. The Lord Himself. He doesn't just kind of give us disp- dispense it like candy, a little, make us feel better. No, he, he Himself is our light. The Lord Himself is our stronghold and the strength of our life. So God Himself gives us the help that we need. God Himself is with us as we walk the dark and winding road of what are sometimes very bitter providences. And this has been one of those. So this morning, I want us to talk about what some of those glimmers of, of light that God gives us in the midst of the darkness. And so a couple of these are going to be more specific to the situation of this week. And others will give help to us no matter what kind of painful losses uh, we may face. And so, before, before we paint, uh, point out some of those sources of life, particularly some of those that are more specific to the death of a child for instance, I want to talk a little more about the grief that, that comes with a loss like this. Um, and I'm not speaking as one who knows this personally. Um, not in this way at all. I, I am not an expert. I'm trying to learn. Um, my brother Jim Shawbrook, well, the first thing Called him and said, "Jim, I need your help. I need you to to compile some resources for me. I need. I got a lot of learning to do here, and and our church is going to need to learn a lot um, through this. And he was gracious to do that and jumped into action and sent me a great, great list of resources. But I, 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 and I and I know some of you have walked through uh, versions of this and you've lost children, uh, and so I've I've watched you and heard from you, but." This is what we do know, and, it, and this doesn 't take any this is not a leap to say this. this is one of the worst things a parent can imagine. I mean it just is it 's awful. This, the grief of losing a child it, it can seem completely overwhelming and even debilitating. Um, none of us none of us are insulated from death at some point, all of us are going to lose friends and family members to death, and sometimes it just seems so premature. But the loss of a child is of a in a category all its own. Um, it's just an awful disruption to the normal and natural order of things. Parents shouldn't have to do this so so we're so we're just not prepared to handle such deaths. They run counter to all of our deepest expectations of how things will and should go and so that's some of what makes it so so difficult and there's facets to this that are. For a parent, there's this unbelievable helplessness that comes with losing this little person that you're so intimately connected to. And you're helpless in in that moment to do anything to this life that's been so dependent upon you. You can do nothing to stop this. That's that's an enormous grief. And, and it's multifaceted. It's not just the physical death of the child. It's that brings the anguish. It's, the, it's this death of an unrealized future. So you're not just grieving about the present and the past, but about the future. You're The loss of potential. What could have been. What should have been. All the things we're going to miss out on. The normal things we'll miss out on with this child. So that's part of it. And then there's the, just the fear of how you're going to go on with this gaping hole in your family. And what do we do now? How do we go on? With, with memories everywhere you turn. In your house, in your car, at school, and church, and just everywhere. How can we possibly handle this? C.S. Lewis, oh, I think this is helpful and we can identify with this. And he said, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. And that's, that's part of it. And, and family dynamics, they're immediately and deeply changed. You have mom, dad, siblings, grandparents, they're, they're all mourning, and you, and you have to navigate each individual's mourning process. And every, every part of life is impacted by the loss. And, and the grief takes different, different expressions. I'm not saying it's I'm not talking about a scale of greater or lesser, that's not what I'm trying to indicate at all. But, but, but depending on stage of life, even with the death of a child, and so a miscarriage is this unique, lonely kind of grief. One, I know that some of you are, 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 know this very well. There's usually no grave, no memorial service. Life goes on normal pretty quickly for other people, but it doesn't, it's not normal for you, and it never will be. And so you wrestle with hard questions. God, why did you let this pregnancy happen at all? And so that's, that's a way. And when a child dies at birth, I know some of you experience that, that, that you have the physical pain of labor without a child to go to take home on the other end. And, and and so the infant death, toddler's death, you know, when you get into the elementary years, you start wrestling with questions of their understanding of the gospel and, and you get into the teen years and many times at that point there's grief over, ah, you know, the relationship maybe wasn't as good as it should have been and I should have done better. And so there's, that's mixed in. You get into young adults and college students and all of these potential, all these huge transitions in life and, and it's all destroyed. And you get adult sons and daughters, and there's more memories that are are tied up, and you have other, you know, spouses and grandchildren, and all of these factors. And so I'm I'm not suggesting, well, one, my point there is just say it's multifaceted, and and I'm not suggesting that we're we're, we're trying to do some kind of ranking of hardships. That what you've walked through, some other kind of hardship, not the death of a child, isn't so bad. That's not it at all. I'm just. There are, there are so many tragic, painful forms of loss. I'm just saying there there are unique and truly awful aspects of grieving uh, the loss of a son or daughter to death. And I think we understand that. The loss is always there. I'm not saying the pain will always be... The, the pain won't ever lessen, but, it, but it, it, it will by God's grace. But the loss is there, and, and they will always need care. So that's not a complete, perfect picture of of this kind of grief, but it's at least a real partial uh, picture of what parents face who lose children. Um, and some of you, again, I know you, you know this personally, but God does not leave us alone in our grief. He doesn't. Even the seemingly unbearable grief of this kind of loss, He, he meets our unbearable grief with unrelenting grace and goodness does in the in the dark valley he gives light and so what are what are some of the sources of light that God gives us in the dark valley of the shadow of death and these are there there are many others that that we could list this morning that we won't this is not an exhaustive list by any means and some of these will be brighter to you when you walk through the valley and whatever valley the Lord leads you through some of these are going to are going to seem very bright at this point that's okay. Uh, walk by the light of the ones that seem brightest to you right now. And there will be other sources of light and truth that may be more precious to you at, later, at other points. But that's, that's, that's the truth for all of us. And so, again, these are, some of these are specific to death, even death of a child. But most of these apply to all kinds of areas. And so these are in some kind of order, but not in a real uh, not in a real exacting order. I'm just going to walk through some of these. I think there's 11 or 12, uh, these truths. And again, not exhaustive. The first one is God's perspective on children. What does God say about children? He said, we know, Psalm 127, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a gift from the Lord. Every, James 1, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so, God, our children are, are wrapped up in that. Every, God graciously has, allows us to enter into and to experience the, 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 the joy of having children. It's a reflection of His joy in His own children. And God allows us to enter into that. I mean, we're in Genesis, uh, we were going to be in Genesis uh, two this morning and seeing God forming Adam from the dust of the ground, and you know God could have made all people in the same way. He could have just made people from the dust and every individuals unconnected, and we could have all just been made from dust. But He didn't. He put us. He, he, he in His love and in His wisdom, He chose to give us parents, to give us children, to 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 put us in families. And, and parents, so your, your child, your children, they're gifts from God. And no matter how long, how short you have them, they are, they are God's gifts to us. God has a special heart for children. We see this in the Gospels with Jesus over and over and over. So that's the first thing that is of great help to us as we, as we face this. A, a, a little point of light. Another point of light and it may not sound like it, but but the way but but it is. And it's God's perspective on death. Death. God hates death. He hates it more than you and I hate it. And I hate it quite a bit right now. Death is wrong. Death is not the way things are supposed to be. God doesn't see Riley's death or Pat's death, or any death, as a statistic. He doesn't categorize it as a necessary evil. He doesn't see it as a, just a part of life. This is how we sometimes hear death spoken of. But God's righteous anger burns at the horror of Death. It's because of sin that death came into this world. De- death is one I heard this week. Uh, death is the worst work of God's greatest enemy. So now we know for the believer, the sting of death has been removed. Death is a defeated enemy, but it's still an enemy. God, God hates, God still hates death. And, and that helps us to come to the next, the third little point of light here. It's lament. They're going to get brighter as we go. But I, I think it's, it's helpful just to vocalize these things and to remind ourselves of what's true and how God sees things. But lament. And we've done our share of that and this week and, and you have in other hardships, other tragedies that you've walked through. Um, Psalm 42.3 Our tears have been our food day and night. It's just weeping lament in first samuel chapter 30 there's this in verse 4 we will see the passage in just a moment but the the context of first samuel 30 david is he's hiding from saul and saul's pursuing him trying to kill him and so david and his men they have to they have to leave their families unprotected for several weeks while they're sort of on the run and while they're gone away from their families this large band of Amalekite soldiers, they come into the town, burn it down, and take all the women and children. And when David and his men returned, found the town destroyed, found their families missing, Samuel writes, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I mean, part of that is, they're their children. Wives, children, of course they wept. Because what other right response is there to a situation like that? And so it has been this week. And so it is uh, at times like this and others, other times in our life. Lament is the right biblical response to suffering and loss and death. And the Bible is full of lament. In, in response to death, in response to war, and tragedy, and sin, and sickness. God's people in the Psalms particularly, they're pouring out their hearts, uh, their griefs to the Lord by fasting, and tearing their clothes, and beating their breasts, and, and, and sitting in ashes, and putting dust on their heads. These are some of the physical expressions of this grief, of this lament. And it's not that just God just kind of reluctantly permits this kind of grieving, but He actually commands it at times. God commands how we should feel. He says, lament, mourn, weep. Lament isn't, it's not about just kind of waves of passion that, that, that uh, passively just wash over us and so we're swept up in, in sadness or something like that and it just comes out of nowhere. No, emotions, they flow from concerns. And so they grow out of our strongest, deepest convictions and values. And and God has told us what we should and what we should not deeply value. And so, so He also tells us how we should respond when those deepest values are upheld or when they're challenged. And life, brothers and sisters, as we've been seeing in Genesis 1 and 2, is a core biblical human value. We're image bearers of God where there's dignity, there's worth in humanity. And so we're to grieve when death comes. And, and here's a wonderful image again. I, uh, one of the resources Jim sent me, um, I, this was a quote from a sermon that Tim Keller uh, gave on the, uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and 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 uh, but his point in the in the message is that Jesus grieves with us. He grieves with those who are weeping. Let me just—it's an extended quote, but I, I think it's helpful. It's a good perspective that we could use right now. And this is from Tim Keller again. Mary Mary asked Jesus, Lord, why were you not here? Because you could have stopped this. Jesus cannot even speak. He just weeps. Now this has startled me about this passage for years. When Jesus moves into a situation like this, he knows why this happened. He knows the purpose of it. And he knows how he is going to turn it into a glorious manifestation of the glory of God. He knows that in just ten minutes, everybody will be rejoicing when he raises Lazarus from the dead. If we went into this knowing that we were about to turn everybody's weeping into joy in ten minutes, then why would we weep? Does it make any sense to you that if you knew you were about to turn everything around in ten minutes... That you would be weeping rather than saying, "Watch this." Why would he do that? Why would he enter into the pain and trauma of their hearts? Because that is perfect love. Jesus will not close his heart for even ten minutes, and he will not refuse to enter the pain. That's a that's a needed perspective, a helpful perspective to us. So so lament. So there's light there. There's this freedom. Not, uh, to, to To lament as God has called us to, and knowing that the Lord even weeps with us, set forth heaven, oh yes, this is a, this is a source of light what a what a comfort this truth has been to Tim and Heather over the past few days, to think of Jesus receiving Riley into his loving embrace, thinking of pat 's kids and the same image and, and this home. Um, I, I know the question of what happens to young children when they die is not an easy one. I, 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 in Riley's case, she was old enough; she had an understanding of the gospel. She did have this simple trust in in Christ, and and so this is not such a uh, it's not it's not that case here. But there's not one clear clear-cut, black-and-white verse from the Bible that states explicitly all children who die at a young age go to heaven. It's not that, but there are several passages that infer and support that. And uh, we are are not going to, it's not in our purview this morning to go through all of those passages, but there there are good, solid, biblical reasons to think that children who die are received immediately into the Lord's arms. And that has been the dominant view Throughout church history, of of, um, of of almost all noteworthy and trustworthy theologians throughout the history of the church. So, I, I I But this is a great comfort, particularly with a little girl like Riley to to think that the Lord has received her. I I, I, I My was running Friday afternoon after I heard about Pat. Did have they, have they did they meet in the presence of Jesus? They didn't know each other. Uh, on this earth but here they are uh, Pat, uh, again I know we don't know all what it will be like but most likely Riley would have an older body Pat would probably have a younger body and so here they are, kind of the same age as it were, the appearance of age and I don't know what age that is but it's not 42 uh, <laughs> uh, 1, I don't know how old I am um, and and so uh, Again, in the presence of Christ, what, a, what a, a comfort. It's not everything, but it sure helps to think, to have these thoughts of heaven. Fifth, fifth little point of light for us is nearness or the presence of God. Um, Psalm 46.1, God is a very present help in times of trouble. Psalm 34:18 The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Oh, God's God's nearness, his his presence, the assurance of his of his presence with us. Uh, another passage in the New Testament where you see this in Romans chapter 5, a passage we know well, we may not think of it in this light, but Romans 5, verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And, then, and we get that. And then he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We say, that's crazy. How is, that, how is that possible? And then he goes on. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Listen, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So how does, how does God make His love real to us in the midst of, of horrific suffering? How? By the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit. He is, he is with us. And we can be certain of that. So, so the presence of God, the nearness of God, is of, it gives us light in the, in, as we walk through the dark valley. Sixth, Sovereignty sovereignty we've sang of this already this morning one of the great sources of light in the darkness is is an understanding of god's control uh tim's mom had a lot of time to talk with the parents over the last few days and and uh friday uh i guess it was probably before she died but soon when that was and looked inevitable she was testifying to this and she seemed to have a robust understanding of, of the sovereignty of God. And, and one of the things she said reminded me of Tony Evans, that video we saw of, with his family and their grief. And he said something along these lines. But, uh, but she said this, we really believe these things. And I thought, oh, that's so good. That's not normal, uh, even for believers, professing believers. But but we're we're quick to affirm, we're quick to confess the comfort that comes in God's sovereignty. Until tragedy like this comes, Um, then sometimes understandably questions arise. But sometimes those questions turn into accusations. And if God is in control, why did this happen? How could a loving and powerful God allow this? What possible purpose could this serve? I mean these and a plethora of questions and struggles that we have there are there are all kinds of theological words and lines of reasoning that that, that we could wrestle uh, we, we 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 use to wrestle with you know how god can be loving and good and powerful and yet evil exists like this it's not again we're not going to be able to solve that this morning i'll just say this in order for us to love and trust a totally sovereign god in the midst of pain and loss and death we have to affirm what we cannot prove. We have to have faith. That will be pointed in just a moment. Romans 8.28, we don't use this as a band-aid. We don't throw this out as a cliché by any means. This is, this, is in, this is a blood-bought statement that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. We, we must believe that God has a good purpose even when awful things happen in our lives one one writer said just as a straight line can be drawn with a crooked stick biblical faith requires the confidence that wicked and tragic circumstances can be turned to loving purposes by God for his people and that's that's it to say that God has an ultimate that he has ultimate purposes for our tragedies it doesn't mean that our comfort is is tied to our discovery of those ultimate purposes it's not it our faith doesn't rest on speculations as to why these things happen. That's not, that's not where we're helped in, is being able to answer that why question. We just trust that God is in control. Why, we, don't, we don't know why this happened to the Gilberts. Why this happened in this family. Why this happened to Riley. Why now? We, we say, well, maybe God is doing such. Perhaps God is... Maybe, maybe, maybe. None of our guessing is sufficient to ease the pain of this loss. It's not... In fact, those kind of speculations, they can, they, can just, they can actually add to the grief that a family's experiencing. If we try and base our trust in God our, on our speculations about what good may result from this tragedy, then our faith will quickly crumble. We need more, and we have more. Hold that thought for just a moment, we'll get there. And, and, and we'll also, if we do that, we'll, we'll, we can run a dagger in the side. As I said, we'll run a dagger in the side of those who are hurting most. Trying to interpret God's reasons for their pain. And, but even so, I mean, again, sovereignty, it is a help. It is a source of light in the midst of this. Even so, we're comforted by the knowledge that God is seated on His throne, as we were singing earlier. Seventh, it's grace and goodness. This is this is light in the darkness. Grace in all in all the heartache over the past week, in whatever and whatever griefs you face, and whatever kind of uh, whatever kind of chaos your life may may seem to be in in times of tragedy, there is always grace that is evident. It is as dark and painful and bitter as the last few days have been for the for the Gilberts. There, have been, there has been grace woven through it all. And they are the first to testify to that. Um, in their sorrow, there has been comfort. In through the tears, there has been laughter. In the darkness, there has been light. There, all, there always is. Even, and maybe I'd say especially, um, especially in dark valleys, we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. There's grace. There's goodness. that The Lord is makes known to us in the darkness. Eighth, there's a fancier word, but one that some of you know, immutability. There's the unchangeableness. That's just longer to spell, but maybe easier to spell. But immutability. There's no shortage of confusion and uncertainty in times of tragedy, of painful, sudden loss, like we've seen the last week. It, It can be very disorienting. So many they're just taking the gilberts there's so many question marks as they look over the past week and why and how and what happened and what you are just your mind swirling and then it, and then you turn to the future and again so many questions how is how are we going to go and what's going to happen what do we do about this and this and this so many so much change their lives have been turned upside down their family has been forever changed our church has been changed but God has not changed. And there's great, there's comfort in that. There's light there. James one seventeen we read earlier that God is a giver of good and perfect gifts, but he ends that verse, and there's no variation, there's no shifting shadow in God. His character is, is consistent. He doesn't give good gifts one day and then, you know, snatch them away and give us poison the next. In the book of Lamentations, we're talking about lament. Lamentations, Jeremiah is expressing just the depths of his grief over the devastation that's taken place in Israel. Jerusalem is destroyed, the land is devastated, the cities are plundered. It's just just awful, and he's grieving, and he's grieving, and everywhere he looks, it's only misery and suffering. And the, the low point for him comes in Lamentations 3, Verse 19 and following there, and he said, he says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. It's just like I get just consumed with grief. Everywhere it's misery. And then the prophet says something that's astounding, and we think it's got to be in a different in a different book. Verse 21, just next verse. But this I call to mind and therefore i have hope what a what a shift and so how could anyone who's in the in the midst of that kind of that that depth of despair and grief how how could they how could they say that and he goes on the very next verse the steadfast love of the lord never ceases the his mercies never come to an end They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. So in the midst of his deepest grief, there's this constancy of the Lord's loving kindness and faithfulness and mercies. Hebrews 13.8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That has not changed. I will, he, he says earlier in, in verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That, that never. We can, const, can count on the constancy of His presence with us. Hebrews 7.25, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Never stops. So the constancy of God and His promises and His presence and His word, all of these things are a great comfort to you, to, to this family and to you in, in your life and whatever kind of... Tragedies uh, befall you, no matter what strikes. A ninth stream of light here is faith. Faith. That's been such a big word with Tim and Heather in the past week. Uh, that, that, that one word, and they used it in the participle form, trusting. Uh, not, not tritely, not flippantly, but uh, particularly on Wednesday. Uh, they would, they would just look at one another. One of them would be having a particularly hard time. And they would just say, "Trusting," and it was like, it was, it was just this loaded word, and it spoke so much to each one of them. Um, and that's going to be a big word that they need moving forward. Not just the word, but the, the truth. We walk by faith through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, so many questions. So many what ifs. So many. Uh, what might be so many uncertainties, but trusting. Trusting God for the next step, for the next day. It's not easy. And church, this is where we get to step in when we, we will need to, as it were, trust for them at times. And so when they're in the, when, when they're in the, when they're in the assembly together and they're struggling to, to, to be trusting, we're going to sing it out. We're going to say it for them. Oh, we trust you. You are God. You are good, and you are under throne and 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 you, and your love is 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 enough, and your grace will sustain us. We're gonna we're gonna say these things. And we're gonna speak them because they're true. Tenth, uh, hope. Uh, just take this particular situation, and again, this can be applied. to even this is now a real and painful part of this family story. It is. It's, not, it's part of this church's story. Um, tragedies are part of your story. Your family, your life, and again, some of your stories are our story too. But they are not the whole story. They don't define us. That's not our identity. God, God, God uh, is able to bring beauty from ashes. Um, there, there is a real, this is a real, dark, difficult chapter, but it is, it is not the ending. The best is, is truly yet to come. And so we can, we can own the pain of this part of the story while pressing on with the hope that God has better things ahead. And we don't know what tomorrow holds, we don't know what next week holds or next year, but we know what the future holds. Revelation 21.4. We know how things are, where things are moving. That, that He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That is not wishful thinking. That's not therapeutic babble. No. We have a living hope, Peter says. And it's it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading for us. And so we have hope. And it's it's light in the midst of darkness. Two more. Eleven. Church or community. Uh, we we never grieve alone. We we grieve with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. God uses people to bring help and comfort and and hope, and encouragement, and comfort to those who are grieving deeply. I mean, this last week, I, I have seen this body ministering in marvelous ways. And I, I watched that South Fayette small group just spring into action, and they're, they're, they were just poised and, and, and moved, loving, serving, showing up, uh, communicating with them, caring for this family, uh, this whole church has been been praying, and uh, the ladies again adjusting to plead with God on their behalf while you retreat, and deacons showing up and leading the way and caring and and, and providing food and so much food and, i mean that was a, was one of those very tangible ministries that just touched this family so deeply. Uh, it, it it was it just honestly it was just it was kind of jarring to see how deeply they were touched when when those doors would open and this you know one of those uh wagon that they have in the children 's hospitals comes two of them come rolling in with all of this food that's been delivered uh, by someone in here that has been leading that effort uh, and i 'm just so thankful it, they, they were so thankful and i was they they 've been overwhelmed by your support and their whole family has noted that and i'm not saying that to 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 pat you pat us on the back i'm just it's the grace of god but it's just a reminder that what an opportunity we have as a church to minister to people that are hurting not just now but at all times when when suffering comes when tragedy comes and that brings me to the question that we'll talk for just a few minutes how can we help those who are walking in the darkness of grief and The recent grief of some, uh, just this situation with the Gilberts, I realize that can stir up grief and loss, the pain of losses in your own life. I'm mindful of that. It's not just, it's not isolated from what, all the mix of our lives and what you're going through and the pain that you've walked through in other ways. We're all affected. I'm seeing these children that are in Riley Sunday School class, and I know parents and the conversations you're having with your kids and so it's it's deep and it's wide the impact and 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 i know there are other uh, again other ways and 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 types of tragedy and suffering that that we will walk through but how do we what are some ways we can walk alongside one another in truth and love holding the light for one another helping others who are overcome by the darkness of suffering and loss to to see light how do we do that how can we help the Gilberts now? How can we help others in our body now and down the road? Uh, I, just a few thoughts. I'm not an expert on this. Uh, none of these things are profound. I, I, I hope they'll be helpful to remember. Nonetheless, this is this is new territory for me. And and um, but again, Jim's been helpful getting some resources. And I mean, some, some of these things apply in all kinds of situations. Some of these may be a little more unique to this particular loss. Uh, a couple books, if you want to, if you would like to, just kind of educate yourself, not just for this, but but in the future. Uh, Dave Furman has a book called "Being There: How to Love Those Who Are Hurting." Uh, it's Dave Furman, and a, another book, uh, Nancy Guthrie. She lost two of three children before the age of one, and so she is particularly a, a, a mindful of the the loss of of a child. But she she wrote a book. She's wrote several books on on grief and helping people to grieve. But one to note is what grieving people wish you knew about what really helps. I know it's a mouthful, but look up Nancy Guthrie. What grieving people wish you knew about what really helps. Just a few thoughts to help us as we walk along this side, uh, this family and and others, and down the road. One, just be present. Show up and no agenda. Um, it's not like I, I'm going to do this. Just it, it's easy to avoid people who are suffering generally, but particularly when it's a grieving parent. We just don't know what to say. We we can't relate. Um, we 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 don't we and we don't know what to do, and we don't want to upset them further. And and so we can we can say nothing. We can we can kind of keep our distance, thinking maybe that's helpful, but. But what that ends up doing is it can make them feel isolated and even abandoned. And I know that's not their intention, but so so just be present. I don't mean um, intrusive, but present. And so and when 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 in gatherings, initiate those interactions and be available, be approachable, stay in their lives, especially those who are closer to them geographically and relationally. Just stay in their lives. Just refuse to abandon them. Um, Second, listen. Listen, listen, listen. Be an active and compassionate listener. Um, Just be okay with times of silence. You don't have to fill in the white space with with words or uh, wisdom in some ways. Just wait, listen, ask questions, listen. Uh, Third is talk. Talk. Express, grieve with them, weep with them. Talk about Riley with them. I'm thinking particularly of the Gilberts right now, but it, this could apply in any situation. Learn about her. Listen to stories. None of us, not many of us, know her well. I don't. I'm I'm learning. I'm, talk about positive memories. Uh, talk with Reagan, her sister, about things she likes and is interested in, and to know her. Send friendly, supportive texts, emails, cards. Uh, you know, leave phone messages. Say. Just say simply, you don't know, have to have elaborate. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We love you. Ask, you know, in time you'll be able to ask questions. What, what's been hardest lately? What's been most helpful lately? Uh, how can I pray for you? I mean, these just talk, engage with them. So that brings me to the fourth talk, but talk wisely. Uh, we understand, we know this, there, that, that we can be well meaning, but can actually hurt people with words we we all do this and uh i i we will be guilty of this uh, time and time again in our lives but but I, so i don't mean to scare you from talking by any means it's better to say something than nothing but just 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 pray and ask the lord to give you help and wisdom as you engage and just some of the things that you would want to be careful not to say um some of the obvious ones would be like things like i know how you feel uh, you you don't and and that's okay i mean don't don't make it about comparing stuff you've walked through with what they're going through. I mean, there may be time when some of that can come out, but that's not now. Uh, or I know someone else who went through the exact same thing. That's not really needed or helpful. Or you need to you need to read this book. You need to listen to this sermon. Uh, like that's the answer or something like that. Or I could never go what you're going. Go, I can never go through what you're going through. Well, they didn't think they could go through it either. They didn't have a choice. So it's here. And so how, that doesn't help. Uh, that's, not, that's not encouraging. It doesn't fill them with hope. Uh, one suggestion I heard of things to avoid saying, and I thought this was helpful. If you start any sentence with the words, at least, stop it. Because we, we, we say at least, and then we, we offer what we think is some word of consolation, but it's just a dagger. At least you can have other kids. I mean, just that kind of statement. So avoid anything like that. I know I'm not, y'all are amazing. I mean, really, I've seen your care. I've seen this family has experienced it. And I've seen it time and time again in other situations. I'm not, this is not, you've demonstrated incredible love for people who are suffering. Uh, But this is relatively, not, not completely, but relatively uncharted territory for us. It's unique. I talked to Pastor Dowell about this last night. This, there's circumstances that are particularly challenging, and so we want to be wise. We want to be loving. Uh, remember, remember, another. Celebrate Riley's life. Talk about her by name. Uh, remember her birthday. I mean, those are uh, special, but challenge. Those will be challenging times. It's coming up very soon, April 30th, and so a card uh, would be in, in mind. Uh, help. That's another way we can help is to help, uh, especially those who are closer to them preparing meals. Uh, there's all kinds of food coming in right now, and I know I know that that's a tangible way we're trying. What can we do to help? And we feel helpless to help. Uh, um, but you know, weeks from now, months from now, that's going to be when the real opportunities present themselves, and the sort of the dust settles. But they're they're going to need help and help. Things around the house, yard, if that's needed. Offer to run errands. Take any weight you can off. Again, this situation, and I'm thinking of others too. Uh, just do what you can to help, guided by what they want and what they're comfortable with. And so, I don't mean again we're intrusive in this. All right, one last source of light, and then we're going to sing. Uh, this is this is more than a glimmer of light. This is this is uh, uh, this is the sun, uh, and it's the gospel. Is Christ. All, all the other little glimmers of light that we've talked about this morning, they, they, they converge here and they join together. Uh, lament and sovereignty and grace and goodness and faith and hope and immutability. All of those, they, they join at the foot of the cross and they shine out through the empty tomb. And it, it's, it's at the cross that our Savior has made the greatest good come from the world's worst tragedy. It's, it's at the cross that God chose to walk through the experience of losing a son, as it were. Knowing that His death would be the, the worst moment in history, in, in some sense. He, he could have avoided it. He could have left us with what we deserve in this fallen world where children suffer and die, and that's it. But He didn't. He walked into our pain because that was the only way to deal with the depths of our pain and our need and our grief and our loss. The cross is the greatest demonstration that the Lord cares. He cares. He cares for you. He loves you. Whatever loss you experience, He he cares. Jesus is the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. When you face loss, the only real lasting help is, is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus brings comfort that nobody else and nothing else can ever bring. I want to close just reading the words of Isaiah 53, the words that were familiar with us, but to to, to direct our minds and our thoughts to Jesus before we sing. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken by God and afflicted, but He was pierced for our transgressions. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit found in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of, the anguish of his, of the, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, the, the, the great comfort for us is that you, Jesus, have borne our iniquities? That this life in a fallen world, because of sin, and where death and disease and sickness and strep and and pneumonia and these things run rampant, and 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 we have suffering of all kinds, Father. This this is not all there is. We have hope beyond. We we. As we're going to sing, we sing in the victory of what Christ has done, and and even in the midst of even as we walk through the valley, we we can we can sing and say, uh, speak of this victory, Lord. And so help us to do that, even now. Help us as a church to to when when one another uh, is. When, when suffering just comes in and strikes with a vengeance in our lives, Father, help us as a church to be poised to care, uh, knowing that we're not leading the way in this, but you, Christ, you are ahead of us in this. You're ahead of this with the Gil- Gilberts even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.